good morning to everybody and uh, happy new year if, if i haven't wished you already so it is the first uh, first sunday of the year and uh, you know as uh, we've been reminded from the very beginning you know what a what a wonderful way to start the year that uh, you know that we can come together and remember the lord so um, you know as we uh, can we put up the ppt kevin oh perfect I don't know, I'm looking over here. I'm expecting to see it on this screen, but then I realize it's that doesn't work that way. So, um, very good. Uh, so it's um, you know as as we mentioned uh, last week, uh, you know we're going to be starting a new series, and and uh, you know we're going to spend uh, a long period of time, uh, you know, almost the next fifteen uh, months through the end of March of next year, you know, going through uh, a series that we are calling the whole counsel of god and um, you know what we want to do is sort of do a a complete survey or a study of the uh, of the scriptures because uh, you know there's something important and it's something that we want to uh, really um, ensure that uh, that our uh, uh, you know our flock here all of you that you are uh, uh, that you have that sort of basic understanding that you build up your knowledge of the word of god uh and uh, you know we'll have a different message every week it'll be somebody else different people uh, ministering to you um you know during these next uh, uh you know 15 months uh but uh, but what i'm going to do over the next two weeks this week and next week is really sort of set a framework which is uh, really important for us to be able to to uh, place the word of god in context right now I'll, i'll talk about it but but let me just start off with um, we're just talking about the uh the uh, the importance okay the importance of the word of god in the life of a believer right and i hope everybody on zoom can see the slides and and i do want to thank uh, my uh, my dear brother sujay for his creativity i cannot create slides these good um it's not not one of my talents uh, uh, but uh, we are we are blessed with people with lot of talents here and and they're always happy to jump in and help so so thank you to sujay for the for the slides um but uh just to start off with you know when we talk about the word of god why is why is it so important and um, that um, portion that that steve just read if we can just go back there again uh you know in uh, in second uh, timothy chapter 3 verse uh, specifically verse 16 you know it says all scripture is given by inspiration of god all scripture is given by inspiration of god so the word of god is important because it is it is the word of god right it goes without saying but it is really uh, uh, the word that's used here for inspiration of god is god breathed it is the very word of god and we are not going to do a study in bibliology today um, uh, but but that's what that word means is god breathed it is the very voice of god the very words of god and we believe in the uh in the inerrancy and the uh, you know the uh, inerrancy of the word of god that this is these are god breathed words uh and it says what it's useful for right it's profitable for all of these things it's profitable for doctrine it's profitable for reproof it is profitable for correction it is profitable for instruction in righteousness and what is the goal what is the goal of these things the goal of uh you know doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness is very simply verse 17 that the man of god that's all of us okay man of god woman of god 
people of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, there is uh, a notion of completeness uh, that comes into the Christian journey. You know, it says in Romans 8 that, that, that we are being molded in the image of his son, that God is making us into the image of his son from the time that we get saved to the time that we are in eternity. It is a journey, a journey of sanctification. And we are being made or we should be being made more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way that happens is through the word of God, right? And that's what it tells us here. Okay, the reason for the reproof and the correction and the doctrine and the instruction in righteousness is so that the people of God, the person of God, the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Okay, now in um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, it says that God, that he has saved us, what? Unto good works. He didn't save us, uh, you know, through good works, but he saved us for good works. And that's that's linked here where it says that, so you may be, Thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a work for us. He has a mission for us as believers who are still on the earth until, you know, he takes us to be into his presence. That, that mission continues. And, and as we become more and more complete, as we grow more and more in, in Christ-likeness or into Christ-likeness, you know, we become more and more equipped to do that good work that God has for us. And there are many verses that talk about the... Um, you know, the word of God, James 1 verse 21, I'm not going to turn there. Uh, it says that we are to receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. Okay, receive. So when you think of the word implant, okay, implant is sort of a, a medical term, I suppose. You know, you talk about implanting or transplanting a heart or a kidney or liver or whatever, right? We are to receive the implanted, we are to receive the word of God and it's got to be implanted in our hearts. Okay, it's able to save your souls. Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonish, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, Hebrews 4.12, if I can just turn there, it tells us something about the, you know, about the power uh, of the word of God. And we're all very familiar with this, with this verse, but... Uh, I just want to quickly turn the Hebrews chapter 4 and verse uh, 12. Uh, it says, um, yeah, the word of, uh, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the, the, the word of God, it's described as a living, it is a living thing. Okay, it is not like a, a book, you know, like a, a novel or something where, you know, you read it, you read through the story and you can go and read it 10 times and it's pretty much saying the same thing. The word of God is no, it's living, right? I can tell you how many times, you know, I, I basically, in my quiet time, I just start Somewhere, some years ago, I guess I started at Genesis and I make my way to Revelation. And then I go back after some four or five years and start over again. And, and I make little notes and I've said this to you before, you know, and how when I go back, you know, after four years and five years with all of the experiences and the life experience that I've been through, it, it speaks to me differently. That's the, that's the aliveness, okay, of the word of God. It's not just, uh, it's not just words on a page, printed words on a page, but it is actually alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces 
to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the matters. It pierces down into our, our inner being. And it's a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. It convicts you of sin. It shows you where you're falling short and it calls you to repentance and change. And then, you know, the, the, the blessed man in Psalm chapter 1, right? What, is, what does it say about him? It says that his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Here is the blessed man. Blessed is the man who does what? Who is delighting in the law of the Lord. And he's meditating. He's spending time studying it, understanding it, living by it. And then Psalm 119, verse 105, that we're all familiar with. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is, it is what guides us, right? It prevents the word of God is so powerful. It prevents spiritual starvation. It keeps us close to God. It feeds the spirit rather than the flesh. In Galatians chapter 6, it tells us that we are to feed the spirit. That if you feed the spirit, you will reap the things of the spirit, right? If you feed the flesh, you will reap destruction. Uh, it, it, uh, it feeds the spirit rather than the flesh. And it ensures the renewal and the transformation of our minds. That's what we're going to talk about in our camp in, a, in about three weeks here, right? The Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the tool of that renewal is the word of God. And when we say the word of God, we're talking about this entire word of God. Okay, all books of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Now, unfortunately, you know, the reality is, you know, one of the things... Uh, you know, when 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 new new people come and join the church here, you know, some of the elders we meet with them, and and one question I like to ask them is, uh, you know, have you ever read the entire Word of God? And uh, I would say probably 80% of the people in the last 10 years that I've talked to, probably more than that actually, have said no, I haven't. Okay, I haven't read the Word of God from cover to cover, not even once. Uh, well, what have you read? Well, I've read the Gospels or, uh, you know, I've read this part or that part or, uh, or I've read the Psalms or I've read the, the Proverbs, right? Uh, so many of us, sadly, we haven't even read the entire word of God, right? So when he says all scripture, it's not the Gospels or just the Gospels. It's not just the epistles. It's not just the Psalms and the Proverbs, but it's the entire word of God, all scripture. Okay, scripture starts at Genesis and in our Bible, it goes all the way through revelation um and and you know we find and when you ask why it's like well you know um you know in fact some people haven't even read all the gospels they've only read the gospel of john uh, and that's a very sad state of affairs you know when you ask why why haven't you read it well because you know i can't understand that okay i i i can't understand the old testament you know all those names i mean they're so boring do i have to study those of course the names are just a few chapters but but that's just an excuse that comes out right uh, we don't find it interesting. We find maybe the story is interesting, uh, but that's about it. So what's the solution to that? The solution is we got to go back and, and start delving into the word of God. And that's what we're going to do in this, uh, in the series that we call uh, the whole counsel of God. Okay. So I need to remember to that. I do have slides here. What's going on, Kevin? Did I do something wrong? Okay. Can we, it doesn't seem to be. Oh, there we go. Okay, that's the the verse that we talked about. So, uh, you know, we're going to start this the series called the Whole Council of God, and what we want to do is is today and next week is to understand how the pieces fit together, and we'll come back to that. But before we go there, let me just talk about the uniqueness, okay, of the Bible. Why is the Bible unique? You know, the Bible 
is a great work of literature. Okay, it's probably one of the greatest works of literature. In fact, I remember 35 years ago when I was in college uh, doing my my BS. Uh, Bachelor of Science degree, um, you know, I, I joined something called the honors program, which was sort of a, a program that you did your technical degree, and then you, you did some study in the classical sort of, you know, classical literature and things like that. And, uh, and we had to study a lot of book, lot of literature, right. And, uh, you know, so we studied Shakespeare and Chaucer and uh, Dickens and all these kind of great literary people. And one of the things one of the classes we had was to actually study the Bible. And, uh, and they studied uh, one of the Gospels and one of the epistles of Paul and some book in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, but I found that that class to be a big struggle, not because I didn't know the Bible, but because they were approaching it as literature. And I remember being embarrassed by the teacher once when I made a point in the class. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the professor said, no, 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 you're, you're approaching it from a, from a spiritual, religious standpoint that's not what this class is about it's about approaching it as a literary book so you know to them it was just a literary book and it was a great literary work when you think about it you know it, it what what the bible contains it contains every possible genre of literature it's got history it's got poetry it's got the law it's got parables it's got apocalyptic literature it's got the things about the future and prophecies and all of these things and when you look at the kind of human emotions that come out in the stories of the Bible, you know, the, in the characters and in the in the plots. I mean, there's there's no better set of plots than than what we find in the uh, in the Bible, right? There are love stories, there are uh, stories of intrigue and stories of murder and stories of countries plotting against each other and wars um, and famines and kings and shepherds and prophets and warriors and even prostitutes and fishermen and all kinds of things. I mean, uh, there's, there's, no, there's no other piece of literature that the world has ever produced that has sort of the richness just purely from a liter literature perspective or a perspective of literature. But, you know, the Bible, and in that sense, it's, it's somewhat unique. But more than that, you know, the Bible is unique in its moral and its ethical standards. It's far superior to any other holy book. And uh, it presents a God and a heaven that is foreign to our nature. You know, when you look at the God of the Quran, okay, when you look at the God of the Quran, you know, Quran is also a holy book uh, for Muslims. And uh, when you look at what it presents, here we have a God in the Quran who is a God who deceives people. Okay, you have an idea of heaven, uh, which is a place of sensual living, uh, eating and drinking and maidens and virgins and all these kind of things. And, and such concepts, you know, they're concepts of God and concepts of of heaven and all these things, they reflect the base nature of humanity and the worst of human instincts. On the other hand, in the Bible, we see a unique picture of God. We know, we see a God who is holy. We see a God who is just. We see a God uh, who, who, uh, who is a God of love. Um, and uh, as well as we see total absence in his person uh, of, of anything sensual. Okay, there is nothing sensual in the in the in the biblical heaven, uh, and and they reflect uh, something that's very different uh, than what we see among humanity. It's not just a sort of an elevated form of humanity, but God is something, and heaven is something completely different, right? And then moving on, we see that it is unique in its message of salvation. Unique in its message of salvation, we see a salvation which is completely an act of God 
apart from man's own work. When you look at all the other religious books, all the, all the other so-called holy books, you know, they present, uh, you know, you got to pray five times a day, you got to make a pilgrimage, or you got to do this, or you got to do that, or, you know, you get reincarnated depending on, into something, depending on what you did in this life. No, the Bible has a unique message of salvation, where salvation is something that is that is originating only from God and apart from any work that a sinful human being might do. It is unique in its degree of prophetic fulfillment. I can't get into that, but when you look at all the prophecies that have been fulfilled, okay, um, you know, the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection and his birth and all of these kind of things, and then even historical prophecies, and you look at the, the degree of fulfillment, you see that it's unique. And then finally, it's unique in that it claims to be the direct revelation from God. And so in many ways, the Bible is a unique book, but it goes far beyond that. And the, the amazing thing is the unity of the Bible it is, you know, it, it is in that sense, it is, it is truly amazing. You know, it hangs together. Okay. Even though it's got two testaments, right? We know the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are 66 books. So you can just think about this, okay? If you are given a book by a particular author, you know, he's written all 200 page, a 200 page book, like a novel or something, you know, he's got everything built in, right? The plot, he introduces the characters at the beginning and then something happens to the characters and then there's a crisis and then it gets resolved and then they live happily ever after at the end or whatever the, the story might be, right? Um, but here we have... We call it a book, right? We call it a holy book, but it's actually 66 books written by 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 multitude of authors, right? Written by more than 40 authors. And it's written over, um, you know, these authors are, are uh, of different nationalities coming from different countries, different backgrounds, different social standings, everything from shepherds to kings to poets to fishermen, um, you know, uh, it's truly amazing that here you have 66 books. And when you think about it, if you, if you take 10 people and tell them to write, you know, a story on the same thing, okay, uh, you're going to get 10 different versions of it, right? Uh, and it's written over 1500 years. Okay, these are all books. Every one of these books is written over a long period of time. You know, each book written during its time, during a different time in history, a different time in terms of what was going on in the world. And yet, Yet we find that it presents one story. And that is, that is what we call the unity of the Bible, right? It is united. And it's amazing. You know, this is truly miraculous that, that, that from the beginning of Scripture to the end, we find these different threads, right? There are, there are threads uh, in Scripture, three threads that, that, uh, that run through the, through the Bible. One is the thread of the person of Christ. You know, it's interwoven throughout the pages of scripture from Genesis. You find Christ being introduced in Genesis chapter 3 at the time of the fall. And then he carries on throughout. Uh, it's a story of Christ. You know, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said on the road to Emmaus, he says the scriptures. And there at that time, he was referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He said, they speak of me. Right. So the thread of the person of Christ, it, it binds the prophecies together. It binds the fulfillment of the prophecies. It, uh, it, it has types and anti-types in one beautiful mosaic that presents the, the story of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the thread of the plan of redemption. It begins with that first proclamation of the gospel in Genesis chapter 3 and verse uh, 15. And it concludes with the redeemed in eternal blessing in, in, in revelation in the new, uh, new heavens and the new earth. So the uniform testimony of the scripture is that man's salvation is based upon the shedding of the blood of Christ in death. And it is 
the means by which God's grace is given to us and you're saved through faith along. And then the third thread we find is God's program for the ages. So the Bible is not a confused mass of isolated events, even though it was written by 46 people over 1500 years and 66 different books. Uh, it records the progressive unfolding of God's plan from the time he created, you know, all the way to the time when he's going to recreate, uh, as we see in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth. So this is what we find in scriptures about the word of God. And by the way, we don't have a second meeting today, so I'm going to take the liberty to take a little extra time because I have a lot of ground to cover. Okay, uh, you'll still go home by 1130, I'm sure. Um, I'm not going to take another hour, don't worry. Uh, so, so this is the, the unity of the Bible, right? This is what we see in the word of God. So what, what I want to do today is, uh, is really start off with a big picture, right? So to understand any reality, you know, we need to see the big picture. Um, now, we may know the pieces. Now, many of us, we get introduced. We said, somebody says, go read the gospel of John. Okay, or uh, somebody talks about the story of David and Goliath. And we read that and we see it as just a story, right? And it's sort of like this um, an example of a jigsaw puzzle, right? So if you, if, you, if you see, if you have a jigsaw puzzle, these real complicated ones with all the small pieces, right? You ever try to put those together? Uh, it's, it's tough. It can take days and weeks sometimes, right? But the key to putting a jigsaw puzzle together is what? Okay, it's that, it's that picture, right? The picture there uh, on the top of the lid, right? And if you didn't have that picture, you'd be completely lost because it's that looking at that picture that allows you to position those pieces and try to figure out, you know, where each piece goes, right? And, um, you know, if you don't have that picture, then it's very tough, all right? Or, or if you're constructing a building, you know, we have some, some architects here. We have Sujay and Saumia, and I saw Jubin, the architect here today, um, you know, uh, and, you know, I've been observing these buildings that, that come up, that are coming up, you know, ever since the lockdown ended, all these buildings started coming up, you know, around, around where we live. And I'm on the terrace looking at them and, and they start off and they dig a hole here and a hole there and a hole there. And then they put some, and, and it doesn't make any sense to me till I see the structure coming up. But, you know, if you're an architect, like one of them, they probably have a plan and they know exactly why this pillar is there why that pillar is there, why this hole is there, why, why this is shaped this way, because they have that picture, you know, that, that final schematic of, of what that building is going to look like, right? So that's really, you know, to understand any reality, we need to know the big picture. Now, we may know the pieces, we may know it well, uh, but unless we know how the pieces fit together into that bigger picture, it's extremely difficult to understand, right? And that's what we're going to do over the next uh, couple of weeks, is that, you know, looking at this Bible and understanding that it's like a jigsaw puzzle, right? It's, it's one book, but it's made up of different books, okay? It's not like a novel with a storyline that runs in sequence. You know, there's a lot of things happening that are sort of, uh, you know, at different times. Like if you're in the, uh, in the historical part of the Old Testament, it's got a time. And then when you get to the prophets, it's talking about that same time period. And if you can't piece all those together, it doesn't make as much sense as if you had that big picture. So, you know, if you jump into one part without understanding how it fits into the whole, you know, it's like putting together that or trying to put together that jigsaw puzzle without the box top lid, okay, without that lid there. And, uh, you know, the way we handle the Bible is often like trying to build a jigsaw puzzle 
without that that picture right without knowing what the goal is you know we start with the gospel we learn some stories maybe the story of jonah and joshua in our kids we teach our kids also right joshua fought the battle of jericho and they went around seven times um you know with story of david and goliath and then we avoid other parts all right so what are you doing you're like that puzzle over there where you've got all these little things you know but it's you're missing the whole picture you're missing the big picture okay so our job over the next couple of days is to create that sort of box top lid picture okay and uh, i'll just use an example of a, of a map okay so this is this is taken right out of google google something i don't know google maps or something um so you know anybody know what that is huh what is that what hennur no no forget hennur what are you seeing in the picture a roundabout thank you it's a roundabout uh joy do you know where that roundabout is the answer is no uh, you don't right so you see a roundabout you see trees you see cars going around the roundabout you know it doesn't really tell you very much does it other than it's a roundabout where's that roundabout hmm iraq no no it's in india uh so you see the roads right you see there are four roads but where are those roads going no no don't do that don't mess me up kevin <laughs> okay let's go to the next slide okay ah now what do we see so what did i just do i just zoom back out right see that red circle that's the same roundabout okay now we begin to see a little more right so we begin to see that that roundabout there's actually you know a roundabout down here another one there and there are four roundabouts and they're making up a rectangle that's a city uh, sort of a city square or city rectangle right and you begin to see that if you go down this road you get to that other place right now let's pull back a little more yeah now we see that that same roundabout in the red circle okay so what you can see actually this is actually you, you if you look carefully stuff to see it on the screen here but this is actually a picture of chandigarh okay i just picked chandigarh because it's a nice square city with well planned right but you see how it's all laid out there and you can see down here is the airport so now you know that circle is so far from the airport so the point here is that you know when you zoom in and zoom zoom out you get a different perspective right and that's what we are going to do okay we are going to uh, start over here and then go back you know i'm going to zoom in a little bit all right and then over the next uh, you know year and a half uh, you know the other brothers will be speaking by going in even further down to that roundabout level but because we start here you get a sense of where these things fit together right and we're going to have a perspective of the big picture right we're going to have a perspective of how things develop throughout scripture we're going to have a perspective of how jesus appears throughout the the old testament um and how the you know when jesus says that the old testament was speaking all about and we're going to see how that's the case right and uh, and we're going to set up a basic structure so what i want to do today is really set up a basic structure okay of the bible so we start with the bible right and uh, the bible has 66 books and uh, you know if you want to make notes you can make this yeah hold on kevin don't go too fast okay i'll try to use this all right so the bible we know that it's uh, it's divided into two testaments right you have the old testament and the new testament by the way what what i'm going to talk about today is not a lot of detail it's just giving you a framework all right you're not going to get a lot of application we'll talk a little bit here and there uh, but you're going to get a framework that we're going to build on 
okay so that when we start deep diving into the roundabouts okay you know where it fits all right and this will really help you uh, as you study the scriptures the purpose of this is not to teach you all the detail about the scriptures it's so that you know you can use this framework as you dive in and do your own study you understand where things fit in okay so we have the old testament with um, uh, you know with the uh, 39 books and the new testament with 27 books making up the six six books of the of the bible and in our framework you know we're going to have three boxes all right three boxes so if you're drawing you can draw i think everybody can draw a rectangle here right so we have three boxes and each of these three boxes represent three different um, you know three different kinds of books so we're going to divide these books into those three uh, you know three divisions right the first is uh, is called foundational right so here we have a bunch of books and i'll get to what the books are in a second here which which shows uh, it's it's it sets the compass okay it sort of shows direction right it sets things in motion it presents principles and outcomes and goals and promises and all sorts of things that carry all the way through scripture so the foundational um, aspects of the old testament they actually carry through into the new testament right and we'll we'll come back to that second we have division is what we call the historical books okay so these are books that take the foundational things okay on top they take the foundational things and they begin to show how these foundational things are lived out okay in the case of the old testament in the among the people of israel how do they live out these foundational things uh, in the historical context so the bible is based in history and that history that begins to follow how these people apply or don't apply right we find many examples where they don't apply or they go away from those foundational principles and uh, we see what happens when when they don't follow uh, the foundational principles right and then the the last one so so these foundational principles that arrow just tells you that you know it sort of speaks into the history okay so it's the historical uh, books are describing how they are living out you know the foundational truths that are given to them by the the books that fall in the foundational section and the third uh, group is what we call instructional okay so the instructional piece now there is it's not a hard and fast uh, division okay even in the instructional you will find a little bit of history but they are not really intended to advance the history they're not giving you sort of that that historical uh, sort of flow right but rather uh, while it may have some history uh, they're not advancing the story they're just amplifying the story and what they are doing is looking at what is going on in the history okay so the 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 authors of the instructional books are looking at what's happening in the history uh, and they are trying to help the people in the history apply the foundational things so when people come in the history they try to apply these foundational things sometimes they fail sometimes they're successful and the instructional books are the ones that provide that sort of um help to them right sometimes uh, it comes in the form of uh, you know it's providing information that will help them to stay on track okay it'll help the people of god to stay in tune with the program of god right so um, and and we have a similar thing in the new testament right so we're going to divide the 27 books of the new testament into three blocks foundational historical and instruction and this is a really good framework once you have it down to actually understand so that when you go in and you look at a particular book and you know oh is this instructional is it historical is it foundational right and accordingly it'll it'll help you to understand where it fits in the big picture so i'm going to go uh, a step deeper now zoom in a little bit okay 
the foundational books of the New Testament or the Old Testament rather are the five books of what we call the Pentateuch or it's called the Torah in, um, in the Jewish uh, um, you know, religious order or the books of Moses. So this is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, right? So they set the foundation for the Old Testament as well as for the New Testament for all of scripture. And there are a lot of truths that are first documented or discussed here that show up much later in the scriptures, right? We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So things that become important to life, things that are life-giving, things that are life-changing, things that um, are life-directing principles, uh, understandings, agreements between God and between people, um, all of those kind of things we find in these first five books. And so those are foundational, okay? Now we come to the historical, and here we have 12 books. So Joshua, Judges, uh, Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and all the way to Esther, right? So we find here the historical books that give you a view of the history of Israel. So in Joshua, they enter the promised land, and then we see how they go about implementing the foundational truths that are in the foundational section. How do they go about implementing them as they build this nation of Israel? Okay, and what you find here is that this is not the entire history of Israel. There's, there's probably a, a lot of selective history. So if you look at a, a history book of India or a history book of the world or whatever, you know, you find that it's very well organized, right? It's, uh, uh, you know, it presents from uh, some, some period of time and goes sequentially through all the events and all this kind of thing. That's not how this history works. Okay, this history looks a little chaotic, but uh, the, the, the reason for that is not, uh, is, is because, you know, it's not intended to present everything in sequence, but rather, you know, God picks and chooses certain, uh, certain selected portions to help us see how these people are applying or not applying the foundational truths and what happens as a result of that. So, so how these groups of people or individuals, they begin to handle the foundational things. So uh, it is a history that's very specifically oriented. Okay, it's not a history of everything about Israel. Uh, during that period of time, but it is a selective history that shows you how all of this is happening, right? So now, as they are going through the history that's described in Joshua to Esther, we find that they have all kinds of experiences, right? They have some positive experiences, they have negative experiences, and so we come to the historical book, or the, sorry, the in instructional books, okay? And, and there are 22 books there, and, uh, and these, you can split these into two groups further, Okay, there are five books, which is uh, Job to through the Song of Solomon, which are called the poetic books. Okay, so these are poetic books. And then you have the prophetic books, which are 17. So five plus 17, 22 from Isaiah all the way to Malachi, right? So, um, so what's happening here is that the poetic books and the, uh, the prophetic books are helping the people in the history apply the foundational truths, right? So you have the poets who are encouraging them, right? The poets who are, who are expressing their ways of worship, who are expressing, uh, you know, how they deal with, with problems as they go through, as you see in the Psalms and the Proverbs, which, which are giving them wisdom. And some of the books, which is mostly the prophetic, are corrective in nature. So where the people are going wrong, the prophets, you know, and very often we think of prophets as people who are looking into the future. They did that. Okay, but more than, more than that, the prophets were usually 
um, you know, more often they were teachers in the midst of the current time. So when the people are in sin, the prophet comes, you know, the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah, and he's telling them and warning them, or Jonah is a prophet who's sent into the, the history of Nineveh, right, to warn them, right, and to call them to repentance. And that's what the prophets are doing. And these instructional books, you know, they fit within the historical, right? So when we, when we go zoom in a little more, okay, we're going to start looking at where they fit in, where the timeline is, so that you know which poetic books and which prophetic books especially fit in with which historical books. And it's only when you look at them in tandem like that, that you are able to really understand how all these things fit in. Okay. So when you look at, let me just give you an example. When you take, for example, the foundational concept of faith, right? So, you know, where do we first see faith, right? We see it in the book of Genesis, right? The God introduces faith through a man of faith, the character of faith, who is who? Abraham, right? And we see that truth. We see how Abraham lives out the faith. We see how his, um, you know, his generations after him, some of them live out the faith, some of them don't, some of them disown the faith, all right? So we see how Israel applies the faith or fails to apply the faith. And when we look in the historical books, you know, we see Joshua, right? We see how does Joshua uh, do, uh, you know, in terms of faith. You know, how did the people in Joshua's time do in terms of their faith, right? How did they do after Joshua left, after some other people came, the judges came in? You know, how do people that were not part of Israel, right? Like people like Ruth and, and, and some of the nations, how did they do in terms of faith, right? And then the poets, they reflect the, the hearts of the people <coughs> regarding their faith. How do they express their faith in terms of their worship and in terms of you know, uh, their, their approach to God. And then later on, we find when we get into the New Testament, right? Again, we see Paul talking in Romans about faith and he goes all the way back to the faith of Abraham, right? So that's why we call those foundational, okay? So that's very important to understand. So that's the way the Old Testament is laid out and, and don't worry, we'll, we'll zoom in on each of these, okay? I'm going to do the first one today and then the next two we'll do next week. Um, so very quickly, the same... You can do the same kind of, uh, apply the same kind of scheme in the, uh, in the New Testament as well, right? What are foundational, the four books uh, of, of the four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So these are a selective biography of Jesus and his teachings, which become the foundational truths for the church. And again, the foundation that Jesus presents there in the Gospel is building on the foundation from the Old Testament, right? So he says, you know, I have come to fulfill the law. Right Where the law says things like, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus takes it a step further. He says that if you look at a woman to lust, right, you have committed adultery in your heart. So, so he sort of uh, restates the foundational truths uh, in a slightly different way, where he's saying that what needs to change is something in your hearts. Right? But it's the same thing. It's foundational. Okay? The, the Gospels present the foundational truths for the church. And then when we come into historical Unlike uh, the Old Testament, we just have one book. Okay, that's the Acts of the Apostles. So what do we see in, in, the, in this historical book? It gives a history of the early church. It shows how the foundational truths of the gospel were applied, uh, were implemented in practice in the formation and the early uh, spread of the church. Um, you know, it shows uh, how did the disciples uh, do in terms of carrying out the Great Commission, which is a foundational truth 
uh, in the Gospels, right? It tells us uh, how did they go from being in Jerusalem to uh, the uttermost parts of the world and how did the church start growing, you know, into uh, Asia Minor and then into Europe and into the, the rest of the world. Uh, so that's what it is the same way, right? So the historical is the church living out the truths of the uh, of the foundational gospels. And then, of course, we have the instructional, okay, or what we call the epistles. The, the, these are letters. They are not books. They are letters written to different churches. And they come either during the period of the Acts or, you know, slightly after that. Uh, but they speak into that history of the church. So we have 22 books. And they help the people in that history. They help the church. And that history of the church, of course, goes on even today. But, but of course, Acts stops at a certain point. Uh, it just gives us the, the history of the early church. But these instructional books are being applied even today in the historical context of the church. So it's helping people back in that day, you know, the letters that the, the, the churches to whom those letters were sent. But it's helping us as, as members of the church of Jesus Christ to, to apply the foundational truth. So when, when they start having problems, right, when they have false doctrines coming in that question those foundational truths, then there are instructional letters being written to those churches to help them correct that. When they have wrong practices, whether it's practices around, um, you know, the use of tongues or uh, order in the church or the Lord's Supper, um, you know, all of these kind of things, we find instruction coming out of these 22 books. When we talk about how should we live the Christian life, how do we overcome the flesh, right, we find those in the, in the epistles. So this is the same framework. We're going to spend more time uh, on the right side later. Okay, I'll come back in August or something and talk about that. Uh, that's, that's the way it lays out in the schedule. But from now to, the, to somewhere in, in uh, July, August, we'll be spending all of our time in the Old Testament. So with that, I'm going to... Um, oh yeah, there's one more thing I forgot. So in between the old and the new, there is a period of 400 years that we call the silent years or the intertestamental period. So this is a very interesting period of time where, you know, after Malachi, the prophetic word of God just ceases. Okay, so there's 400 years where there's no prophetic word coming in, uh, you know, to the nation. But God is not silent, right? What we find as we look in history is God is, even during this time, he's preparing the ground for the arrival of the Messiah, right? To speak again into history in a tangible way. Uh, so we'll spend a little bit of time uh, looking at that later before we go into the uh, uh, the New Testament. Okay, so I hope I hope you understand this structure. This is a very good structure. I can send this out to you all. Um, and uh, you know, as you, uh, what this allows you to do is, as you're going through the different books, you know, when you're reading the historical books, you know that it's history, right? When you're reading the instructional book, and and when we get into the deep dives into each of these uh, over today and next week, you know, I, I'll explain to you. Uh, which of the instruction book fits into which historical period represented by those historical books. And that will really help you to, to see this, this big picture. Okay. So in the next uh, 10 minutes or so, I'm going to look at uh, the foundational books. Okay. So, um, you know, as I said, the foundational books are the Pentateuch. All right. So, um, you know, we're going to look at this in more details, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses, as they call it. And, uh, you know, from two weeks from now, you know, we'll be having 11 lessons that focus more deep dive, okay, into each of those books. Again, none of them are going to be going, you know, it's not going to be a, a expositional teaching 
into all the details, but they'll bring the picture down a little bit more, right, with those 11 lessons. But today we'll just stay at the high level. So the, the Pentateuch is, is really important. And I just want to read a quote from, uh, from an Old Testament dictionary. And here's what it says about the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament lay the foundation on which the rest of the scripture stands. It's great themes, it's epochal events, and it's towering figures set down vectors, paths, if you will, on which the bi biblical story is played out. The very shape of the rest of the Old Testament would collapse were the Pentateuch removed. The structure of the New Testament thought would be barely intelligible without it. So the, the Pentateuch is, is really important. And I'm going to just give you a few key themes and key words and key thoughts that as you go and study uh, and as we go through the study that you need to keep in mind, okay? Uh, so first we have three key words, which is culture, creation, and character. So the Pentateuch, and, and in fact, all of the Bible is written into the culture, okay? It's written into the culture of the day. And uh, you might not be able to read that, but uh, it says that it's, it's about a culture within a larger culture, okay? So it's related to culture within a culture. So when God sets Abraham apart, and says to him that he's going to make him a great people or a great nation uh, and a blessing to all people. He's now setting, he's taking Abraham out of the culture of his time. Okay. And he's saying, I want you and your generations to build uh, or, or exhibit this different culture. Right. And so they became a, a smaller culture within that larger culture. Uh, and, um, and they become a very different culture. They're supposed to be a very different culture. And they're going to be called to influence that culture, right? They're going to be called to show God into that culture, the one true God. So here you have a culture that is full of idolatry, a culture that makes up its own image of God. Okay, and God is calling Abraham and his descendants to show to them what the one true God, Jehovah, is really like. Um, and, uh, you know, and the broader culture has no clue about the foundational truths, right? Um, they're, a, 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 they're not a one-god culture, but a multi-god culture that's, that's steeped in idolatry. They're an idol-worshipping culture. They're not a service-oriented culture, but a me-oriented culture. You know, you think of all the foundational truths he gives. Like, for example, you know, taking care of poor people, right? God gives all these laws about slavery and things like that. And you wonder why, why, is, that, why is it even talked about slavery? You know, that's because the culture there had slavery, but God is giving them a, a different set of rules within which they are to exhibit God's love even for those people and his compassion and his mercy towards them, right? And, and so whatever he's asking them to do is fundamentally different than what you see in the culture of the time. It is not a kind culture. It's a mean culture. Uh, it's not a logical and orderly culture. It is a chaotic culture. You know, they just, if they want to worship, they just put up a bunch of stones and they worship. And that's why you see God giving them this beautiful design of a tabernacle. You know, he's showing that he's a God of order and he has to be done in a certain way. And there's a certain way to approach him, right? And, and when you start understanding this, you know, I think all of this starts making sense, right? So the job of Abraham and his followers generations after will be to start infiltrating this larger culture with the foundational truths of God. And, you know, in the historical section, we see, how that how that that broader culture represents a problem right it represents a problem because um, you know some of the 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 way the the 
the, the truths of that culture start seeping in. So we see the Israelites struggling with idolatry. We see some of their leaders becoming more like the larger culture. You know, they come and say, give us a king just like the nations, right? And so we see them going away from this mandate that they're given of being a culture within a culture that's infiltrating. Instead, they start getting infiltrated the other way, right? And they start going astray. Um, and, um, you know, as you think about this, um, this is really no different than the, uh, than the Christian life, isn't it? You know, we also live in a similar cultural reality. You know, First Peter 2, 11, you know, we are called to be a culture within, this, within a culture. It says that you are a holy priesthood, right? A holy nation, a royal priesthood. And it says you show to the world, to the nations, to the heathen, to the unbelieving, right? By your life and you draw them to God. So we face the same conflict between the culture and the culture around us and God's foundational truth. So as you study through the Old Testament, the story of Israel, keep this reality in mind. Okay, keep. So, so these are just some things to peg your thoughts on. You look for that. You look for the cultural aspects as you study. The second thing is, um, is creation. So we find in these foundational books, the first five books, we find a lot of creation. Now, of course, we know about the creation in the first seven days. The earth is created. God creates here, but he creates a lot of other things too. Okay, so pay attention to that. He creates nations. Uh, he creates languages. Uh, he creates marriage, right? He creates, um, uh, or he uh, not just create, but but uh, these things come up for the first time, right? They're sort of birthed there. Uh, you know, he births judgment, right? Judgment happens for the first time. Faith is introduced for the first time, right? So creation is a theme throughout scripture until the end where God recreates a new heaven and a new earth and you go back to the garden. So you see how all of scripture now relates back, right? God is creating, and then that creation gets corrupted, and we see how he's trying to call a people to be different, right? That doesn't quite work out very well. He calls another people, the church, you know, to, to keep working within the culture and, and bringing his truths, his foundational truths into the culture, but then ultimately he's going to recreate everything uh, and restore it back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden. And then the third one is character. Okay, third concept is character. So the, we see the character of the people. Pay attention as you study to the character of the people. Pay attention to the character of God, right? As we go through these foundational books, we see the character of God. And I keep emphasizing this, you know, whenever I talk that, that the most I've learned about God is by studying the Old Testament, not by studying the New Testament, because that's where he really reveals himself in the context of real life. The mind of God is revealed to us. And, and we need to look at how are the people reflecting or not reflecting the character of God. So next thing I want to look at is the flow. Okay, so the flow of these five books. And uh, in that flow, we can put the Exodus at the, at the center of it. Okay, put the Exodus. And by Exodus, I mean not just the book of Exodus, but the actual Exodus. Okay, them coming out of Egypt, right? Which happened sometime in 1500 BC. And the children of Israel have been in Egypt for almost 400 years as slaves, right? Um, and... Uh, and what we can tell is that the first part, the book of Genesis is sort of the flow is it's explaining why are they in Egypt? Okay, why are they slaves? Right? Um, how did they get there? And remember, all of these five books, you know, Moses, uh, you know, Moses puts them down on paper in preparation uh, for going into the land of Israel, right? So that the people who are going in, they understand all the way from where they came from, how they were created, how they ended up in Egypt, how God called them, how he gave them the law, how they should conduct their business, 
all of these kind of things. So, so the first part of uh, the, the book of Genesis is taking us there and explain to us why are they in Egypt. And that's why you have all the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph and how they end up in Egypt and how they end up in slavery, right? And then when we come to the next part, you know, that's um, uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy, it's telling us how they got out of Egypt, okay? How did they get out of slavery or why did they, uh, and how did they get out of slavery? And when you think about it, you know, this is a spiritual journey that's very analogous to our own journey, right? You know, we were living a life apart from God and we were under slavery to sin. Um, you know, we cried out to God, you know, at some point in our life. Some of you have heard, we've heard some of the testimony of some of our brothers and sisters, how they came to the end and they cried out, you know, to free them from that slavery. And then we see an external intervention from God that brings them to faith in Christ, you know. But then the moment you came, you know, uh, into faith in Christ, the moment you got out of slavery, uh, you know, and I just said, Exodus, you didn't just become a brand new person overnight, right? There was a journey, uh, a post-slavery journey. Sometimes you did well, sometimes you didn't do well, right? And throughout that journey, you're learning and you're being taught by God. And just like Israel, you know, just like Israel, at some point they come to the river, right? They come to the river and they have to make the river Jordan and they have to make a decision. Do we cross over or do we not? Okay. And the first time they said, no, we don't want to go, right? We don't want to go there. Okay. And so what does God do? He takes them around 40 years, you know, and he keeps training them and training them and teaching them and making them go through all of these experiences. And then they come back around. And at that point, they wander for 40 years. Um, and uh, and then they make a decision to enter into the uh, into the promised land, right? So in this journey of Israel, we can sort of see our own journey, you know, our own overcoming of the vestiges of slavery. You know, just because you're sin, you you're saved, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden all those bad habits, all those wrong thinking, you know, they just go away overnight, right? It's that wilderness journey that's that's and all the the suffering and the pain and the uh, the things that we go through that prepare us to enter into our rest which is the, the promised land. Okay, so that's the, the flow. And then very quickly, uh, we're just going to look at some of the key characters. Uh, okay, there's, there's about six or seven key characters here. Uh, so first one is, of course, Adam. And I've got a little tag for, for each of them. So Adam is the father of first, right? So he, everything he does is a first. He's the first man. He's a first husband, first father, first worker, first everything, right? Is everything is a first-time experience. And you can see in Adam some of these things that, you know, when we become believers, you know, we have a lot of first-time experiences, right? We got to, we got to, re we are re being recreated. We are starting over. You know, the way we used to do things before is not the way we need to do it now. Uh, then we come to Noah, okay? Noah who walked with God. So the phrase for Noah is walked with God. Takes a very contrary direction to the culture of his time. It shows us how, you know, we can stand up. Okay, when we are in this godless culture, uh, we have Abraham, who is the father of faith, right? Uh, we know all about him. We talked about him. We come to Isaac. Okay, Isaac, uh, you can put the phrase provided a lamb. He was provided a lamb in his place. And this is one of those pointers to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're going to look at this a little later. Then you have Jacob. Beautiful story. You know, for Jacob, the phrase is a rebel redeemed. Okay, a rebel redeemed. So God goes after this rebel. J Jacob is running away, right? Because he's done all these bad things to his brother. Uh, his stake stolen his birthright and he runs away. And then God has to shape him and mold him. And he himself, you know, Jacob, the word Jacob means deceiver, 
okay and he gets deceived by his his future father in law and and then god teaches him and then ultimately he redeems him and he changes him and he gives him that new name right he wrestles with god and we see how god can take any kind of a person any kind of a rebel and redeem him and then we have joseph uh, from whom we learned the so- it's a sovereignty in action okay so the sovereign god is in control of our lives orchestrating all things for a greater purpose so joseph sticks with the foundational things he knows right joseph is a is going back to those foundational things uh, and god brings him through so when joseph is going through all this pain and suffering and imprisonment and false accusation you know it must have been so difficult and yet he trust god and then finally you have moses a shepherd sent you know the moses you know moses a very interesting story you know when moses was young you know he said i am going to save my people from slavery right he takes it into his own hands and what happens god has to humble him right he sends him off he runs away from egypt and then you know for all those years 30 years he's in the wilderness and what is he doing he's not a king he's not a leader he's a shepherd he's taking care of sheep and god is training him and preparing him till he humbles him and then he brings him back he calls him back to be a, a shepherd to shepherd his people out of slavery uh, what so these are the, the key characters and think about these phrases as you uh, read about these characters right then we have the key theme so the theme of creation we talked about and then beyond that we see the theme of judgment you know god means what he says god is patient but there is a time when he brings judgment there is a consequence to disobedience but where there is judgment there is also redemption so another theme that we see throughout these foundational five books is the theme of uh, redemption right uh, god buys back the people who have rebelled even god's judgment is redemptive in nature you see he is judging them by making them go around in the wilderness for 40 years right but 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 even there we see that he takes care of them it says that you know their shoes did not wear out right he's showing his redemptive power his redemptive Uh, capacity right then we have people right we see a lot of different kind of people israelite people other people god works his plans through people we see leaders right so leadership is always key there are different leaders some with all kinds of flaws but god uses them uh, then we talked about character right alignment with the character of god leads to blessing and then we have covenants and promises which are agreements that god makes with his people covenants he makes covenants with noah okay he makes a covenant with abraham he makes a covenant with moses and then later on uh, in the historical books with david and then of course all of that eventually points to the new covenant uh, through christ's blood okay so those are the key themes so again we're just staying at a 20000 foot level and then just to close out i'm just going to give you two uh, key words okay key descriptors for each book so genesis okay two words beginnings and generations okay beginnings are things uh, and generations are people that these foundational things work through okay uh, so as you read this think about that you know what is beginning here okay what are the things that begin in genesis all right the next one is exodus uh, and the, the the two words describing this are slavery and redemption okay we talked about that leviticus rituals and relationship so rituals means how do people relate to god you know leviticus can be pretty boring book maybe it puts you to sleep but but look at it from this perspective okay what it presents is two things rituals right how do people relate to god and there's much to learn from that through rituals that is through the priestly ministry through the offerings you know they're relating to god and those are all pointing 
to their have their ultimate fulfillment in the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, but beyond that, Leviticus also gives a lot of laws around things like dietary laws and health laws, and and those are about relationships. Like how do we relate to people, right? Do unto others as you would have them do to you, right? That's those principles are codified there in the book of Leviticus. And then we come to numbers, and the the theme for numbers of the two words to describe it are failure and fulfillment. So numbers starts as with failure. They refuse to enter the promised land, right? So they come there. and they say oh my goodness there are there are big walls there are big giants you know this we're going to get eaten up alive you know let's not go and so what does god say he says okay fine you stay in the wilderness and you wander around for 40 years and they are taught again and they experience god again uh and they experience his care again okay and and the redemption ultimately becomes much more meaningful and that generation ends up dying in the wilderness and a new generation comes which has to be retaught everything right and here they are they wander around for 40 years and they come back they come back across from the jordan and they have to make a choice right the same decision now what changed did the land change they still had big walls were there still giants there were still giants right the same land the same giants but the outcome was different so what changed it was themselves that changed right they changed through that 40 year war excuse me wandering in the wilderness their faith had grown now they trusted god and they were not afraid of the giants because they had seen how god led them for those 40 years and you know that's how it is in our lives too right when we think about when we read numbers let's think about our own lives you know where do where have we failed you know are we are we learning from our failures are we learning from the judgments that god brings into our life and then the last one is um the book of deuteronomy which two words to describe that is law and land the law is given in exodus right and now it's given again it's repeated why because it's a new generation you know all those are old people that received the law in exodus they're gone they're dead right a new generation that's about to go into the land in faith trusting in god uh, and they need to be taught and they need to be prepared to enter the land and so you know beginnings and generations slavery and redemption ritual and relationship failure and fulfillment and law and land so these are just a few things uh, i'll stop there and next week we're going to get into the historical books and the instructional books and do a similar kind of little bit of a deep dive and as i said as we go through the next few weeks you know we're going to do 11 lessons just uh, on genesis through deuteronomy that will delve in even deeper but i hope that you get a sense of how all of this fits together right how uh, the different books and you'll see more of that when we finish next week's lesson uh, and uh, you know this can be really life changing when you start looking at it and you can put it into a proper framework and you can really understand you know what god is trying to tell you and and starts impacting your life and i trust that the lord will enable each of us to do that as we go through the series over the next uh, uh year and longer so let's close in prayer heavenly father we want to thank you lord for the richness of your word we want to thank you for the foundational truths in the um first five books of the bible as we delve into them lord and as we look at the scriptures over the next 15 months father we pray that your holy spirit would guide us lord that you would wet our appetites lord for wanting more for feeding from your from your word lord the bread of god the bread of life and that it might impact our life we just thank you father for this time and we give you all glory and praise in the name of our lord and our savior jesus christ amen mm-hmm.